0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 453rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a multi-talented artist who made his name as one of the funniest performers on NBC's Saturday Night Live from 2005 through 2013, impersonating the likes of Alan Alda, James Carville, and Vincent Price, and originating memorable characters like Weekend Update City correspondent Stefan. Then, in 2018, he reemerged as the co-creator with Alec Berg and producer, writer, director, and star of the massively acclaimed HBO comedy series Barry, on which he plays a tortured veteran of the war in Afghanistan, who now splits his time between working as a hitman and trying to find work as an actor. A 20-time Emmy nominee, twice nominated for his work on SNL in the Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series category for which no other member of the show's cast had been nominated in 29 years, he already has three wins to his name, two for Best Actor in a Comedy Series for the first two seasons of Barry, the great Bill Hader. Over the course of our conversation, the 44-year-old and I discussed how he was saved from a string of shitty starter jobs and brought to the attention of Lauren Michaels by Will & Grace star Megan Mullally, why he was never really able to enjoy his time on SNL, and how, after leaving the show, a part in the 2014 indie film The Skeleton Twins led to Barry, whether, three seasons into Barry, he still regards the show as a comedy rather than a drama, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Bill, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. And on this podcast, we always begin truly at the beginning. Would you mind sharing with our listeners, where were you born and
1: raised and what did your folks do for a living? Oh, I was uh, born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, my dad, when I was very young, drove. he ran restaurants and then he drove a truck for a little bit. And then he started running an air freight company. Um And then uh, my mom was a dance teacher. Did
0: I see somewhere in prepping for this that your dad also at one point dabbled in
1: comedy himself? Yeah, he he and his brother, one of his brothers, they did a stand-up like on a very, you know, like on kind of open mic type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he was really into comedy. And and was
0: that something that, I mean— uh, growing up was, was comedy a a big part of your life? I did read maybe some stuff, some impersonations on the school bus and class clown type stuff, but was it ever something? Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Impressions was just kind of like a way my family talked. Like we, we just, everybody kind of does the voice of, you know when you tell a story everybody kind of does the voice of the people in the story so that was just kind of part of our family um but yeah no i was voted class clown (laughs) so yeah come by it honestly (laughs) so i guess the other side of
0: of you which you know people have kind of uh come to know more recently than the the fact that you're gifted at comedy is that there is also this sort of uh filmmaker auteur uh, side obviously it's really become clear through barry and uh and i guess that also goes back pretty far was there was there a moment when it first occurred to you that you know there are people who actually direct and write these things that we all can oh yeah
1: i just remember being very young and noticing the directors you know uh i mean obviously i think that the most famous one was steven spielberg when i was a kid um and knowing his movies, but then also I remember John Landis was one kind of saying like, oh, wow. OK, so this is the same name at the end of Blues Brothers is also, with, you know, Trading Places and American War for London. And then, uh, you know, Thriller, watching the making of Thriller as a kid and then seeing him and going, oh, wow. So that's the same guy. And another one was uh, John McTiernan, because <laughs> I like Die Hard right. and then seeing Predator. They'll sleep over and going. Oh, that's the guy who did Die Hard and then Hunt for October, and you know, so it was as a kid, kind of just being a a casual, big movie fan. That was big. That that I started noticing that. Yeah. And the whole family, it seems like, really was
0: uh, into film, film history, all of that. I mean, I know that you are, you are a real knowledgeable. Cindy asked now, where did that come from? Especially given the fact that I think you've said your parents were quite young when they had you. So where did their knowledge even of this stuff come from?
1: Um, They, you know, that I think that most of that came from. I mean, they just had a. I mean, I think the thing that we did in our house is watch movies, you know, some families, you know, uh, play board games or you know or TV families or they go out and go camping and you know or you know things like that ours was a movie family we just that was what every day my dad would come home from the video store with a couple of, of VHS tapes and whatever he got we would all sit around a family and watch and because they by the virtue of that they were young we were kind of watching what they wanted to watch you know it wasn't. There were kid movies, but that was kind of... My grandparents lived uh, down the street from us, and so at their house, it was more, you know, kid-appropriate stuff. But then at my, my mom and dad, you know, when I was at home, it was, it was, uh, yeah, we would watch anything. You know, everything from, you know, horror movies to... I watching the movie uh, Moving with Richard Pryor. Uh, <laughs> it's like weird memories of... these things uh miller's crossing i remember watching raising arizona um you know all that stuff but the idea that you might yourself end up
0: sort of pursuing the arts in some way that's it sounds like at least with your your dad's sports was the was the much bigger emphasis was there there was a moment though it sounds like that i've read where he actually just totally saw something and came around right
1: yeah. Yeah. No, he was really into sports and, and growing up in Oklahoma. I mean, that's the kind of the, the thing, you know, especially football. And, um, and so, yeah, watching, watching football, sort of college football being in an OU and OSU and, and all that stuff. And, and my dad went to OSU and my mom went to OU. So there was like a rivalry and, you know, and, uh, yeah. So that, that was also very big in the house was, was, was college football. And, um, and so the fact that I was inordinately tall for my age, you know, I think kind of, I was, um, you know, very much like sports that was very young. That was all about sports. And then, uh, but then also watching movies and things like that. And at that, And then as time wore on, I think I kind of just remember going to like a football camp, uh, and and at OU with the Barry Switzer's football camp and just not fitting in at all. (laughs) I don't know why I'm here. And then I went to Nolan Richardson's basketball camp in Arkansas. And I again just don't, this is not my scene at all. I was in like seventh grade and, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was hard when you're like, hey, do you guys want to watch a Wrath of God? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really. <laughs> Does anybody want to, no? <laughs> Burn a dream? No. Uh, but no, it was, but it, it was, it was like that. And then, uh, and then I went, my, my high school girlfriend was, was, Gonna audition for the school play, which was Glass Menagerie. And so I was like, you know, I, I'll, I'll go do that with you, you know? And uh, so I never thought of being an actor, but I went in and, and did this audition because my girlfriend was doing it. And uh, we both got parts. Uh, she was the mom, and I was the gentleman caller. And um, my dad couldn't make the opening night. So he came to our tech rehearsal. And after the tech rehearsal, I was like, okay, let's, cause I was, I dropped out of basketball and, and stuff to do this. And when he saw me, he just went, that was amazing. I am so proud of you. That was, I can't believe, how do you, how can you memorize all that stuff? Like, you were so good. Like he just, it's still the best review of all time. That's no, awesome. Nothing will top that. Yeah. Nothing will ever top that. I was like, so happy it was the best that's so amazing and then I mean it seems like
0: in terms of inspiring you to actually you know pursue this stuff more seriously in the going forward that was one moment that stood out from what I what I was able to gather and then the other one was I guess at you know maybe just around the time you were ending high school did,
1: I guess you you lost your maternal grandfather who had been yeah there? yeah a huge part of my life. Yeah. When I was 17. Yeah. And he was 62. Oh, wow. Yeah. Early. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. why did that, what what
0: kind of an effect did that have on you in terms of what you wanted to go forward and
1: pursue? Well, I think it just made me realize like this all ends, <laughs> you know, it was seeing somebody who, you know, I loved so much um, and cared about so much and was such a good friend of mine. He was kind of, you know, I grew up in a house with like two sisters and my grandmother and my mom and my dad and my grandfather were working all the time. So the they were the two men in my life. And so I was really, you know, close with them. And uh, and then my grandfather, especially when I was, uh, you know, younger, and he, he was the one that got me into reading, which is still very much, you know, he's the first guy to take me to a novel idea bookstore in Tulsa. And, you know, I said, I have to get a book for, for class. And it was red badge of courage. And he said, well, no, you go pick out something that you want out of the fiction section, you know? And, uh, I think I got Salem's lot, a Stephen King book, went home and like read it in like three days and was like, that was amazing. And just got me hooked on this stuff. And, and, uh, he, he was just such a kind person. And then he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the age of 60 and then died at 62, I think. And um yeah, it was just it was awful just watching someone you care about and love that much slowly, you know, go away. And and so I think I kind of put this uh and, you know, they, my grandparents, they lived next door, so it wasn't kind of being co-raised by people, you know, like they, we were, they were, I was very close to them. So um, it, it, was, it was a big loss and, and uh, it kind of made me, you know, I did terrible and I was not very good at, in school, um, but I went to a great school where they were smart enough to know, like, OK, you're, you're not applying yourself, but you're not dumb. You know, like you're just very interested in what you're interested in, you know, they, and I've, I've always appreciated that. It's a place called Cashel Hall and uh, they're just, you know, you should take, you know, filmmaking classes and you should try to get into a film because it's so clear that you're into this and you're not doing drugs. <laughs> you're not like getting drunk, even though you're hanging out with all those people who are, yeah. you know. Uh, I was just super just narrow-minded about movies. And so once my grandfather died, it was kind of this like, oh, this all ends. I I can't sweat all this other stuff. I need to like go make things, you know? And then I did that for a little bit and then moved to LA and got like really intimidated. (laughs) Well
0: let's uh let's break this down if we can just so for people following along at home. I mean I guess you you started in college, left in I guess June 99
1: to go out to Well I went to I went to a community college in Scottsdale, Arizona. Jimmy Kimmel loves it cuz he's from that area that I went out of state to go to a community <laughs> college. He likes right. to remind me of that every time I see him. Uh but i did i i went out of state because this community college had a a film program that where they had they had like airy bls and they had avids and it was just sitting there and it was like oh my god this is i want to be making i don't want to do theory or anything like that i want to make stuff right and uh i made a short film did a rough cut of it was like this isn't you know uh like, this isn't like a Stanley Kubrick movie, (laughs) (laughs) I had such high standards, you know, and I was just learning, but I was 19 or 20, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't what it should be. And, you know, and, and so I got, I got a little, uh, freaked out, you know, and then I moved to LA and just like, I got a PA and to moved out here and to to here, I moved out here in June of 1999. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said the whole idea was to be
0: doing something creative, but unfortunately, as anyone who's worked these shitty, uh, entry-level jobs in Hollywood knows, you're not going to be left with much time to do that. And so no, that was, I mean, basically we're talking right. right, like 99 until 2003, you're, you're, I read even one of the jobs,
1: were you driving Fred Armisen around? Yeah, I drove Fred. That was where I met Fred. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was a short film that Bob Odenkirk, directed and i picked up fred from his hotel and drove him to or no no no. i met him in, in a parking lot uh and then i drove him in the the production car to set right and it was at the fry's parking lot in burbank if everybody remembers where that is a big fry's store uh uh and he pulled up and he's like hey i'm fred where am i going and i was like oh yeah you gotta ride with me or you follow me i forget what it was yeah <laughs> well, that's how I met Fred. But mostly, it's I, I saw you said you were
0: paing on everything. Like the spectrum, I guess spans from like the original Spider-Man movie. Which must have been interesting because I know for that's Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi, like Evil Dead yeah. was one of your huge big. Yeah. Right? But all the way from Massive. from that through, uh, I guess, porn adjacent.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I worked on a show called Night Calls where people <laughs> would call in. Uh, it was like a phone sex show and they would have porno actors there and they would act out the fantasies that people <laughs> were calling in. And I would have to go get coffee for the performers, and uh, and then you know it was kind of a thing of being out in the hallway, and it was the first live my first live TV experience, yes. and and then they were saying, uh, okay, they want you know, Chrisa uh, and 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 Shauna need to come out, and it's a cowboy fantasy, and it was like oh, Krissa, Shauna, I'm ready for you. <laughs> you know and uh and i just was like oh my god my parents knew i was doing this i'd be fucking (laughs) annihilated i or my they would just feel terrible but um but that but that actually wasn't that you know it was like hey everybody's making a living and they were also i mean they're really cool and it wasn't like some seedy terrible thing right was like everybody was you know but it did that, and I worked on a one thing called Two Little Heroes, which was like Home Alone but with dogs. <laughs> it was like Home Alone but it was two dogs. And uh, that one I ran, I did the whole movie. It was like a three-week long or month-long shoot. And I slept on my friend's couch in uh, Toluca Lake because it was by all the places. Would
0: you say, though, I mean, how would you, looking back, what was your mindset at that point does it sort of dawn on you at a, at a after a few years like this itself is probably not
1: leading to anything you know what when i was pa when i was a pa on set i thought this was amazing i'm i'm in los angeles and i'm working on movies it doesn't get any better than this i'm waking up early i'm getting breakfast brios with the crew i'm i just i was in love with it and i thought it was so cool and uh, meeting people who had worked on and I worked on collateral damage. That was a big movie. I got to go to Mexico and then I did a movie called The Scorpion King. And it was at Ma- mystery Mesa and I worked all night. I did a, like we were doing nights for a couple weeks and uh, I was trying to drive home to my apartment from mystery Mesa. And I had been up for like 24 hours. And I had to pull over and I fell asleep and I had like traffic just, <laughs> and then, uh, so, okay, I got to get a hotel. And this is before, you know, I didn't, have, you know, cell phone, you know, this is, I had to, I got a Thomas guide and I went to a gas station. Do you know where a good hotel is? And I went and I found this hotel and I went in and the guy behind the counter was crying his man and a wife and they were crying. I go, what happened? And they were like, this woman, Andrea Yates, killed her kids. And, you know, and it was like the news had just broken or they were telling me about. And then I was I I started crying and I was just like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) And I just well, I cried. I thought this is that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And then they gave me a room and I just laid there. And for some reason, those two things happened. I fell asleep. I woke up. And when I was leaving, I said, I can't. PA anymore. Mm-hmm. I was driving home going, that's it. I'm done. I can't do that anymore. And and I guess I, I guess sort of overlappingly or
0: because of that, you end up signing up for your first comedy
1: kind of yeah. class? Well, that's, yeah, ironically, that same girlfriend, for the reason I stayed with her for seven years and she's the one that got me into acting and then I'd stop acting and then she broke up with me It was like first big heartbreak and then, okay, I got to do something new. And so I went and took second city classes and, um, we're still friendly. So she likes to take credit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she, she can, she can claim credit, but it seems like the, the,
0: the person who really, uh, can is Megan Mullally from
1: Grace. How did, how did you first come to her attention? Uh, so Matt Offerman, her brother-in-law, Nick Offerman's brother, Matt is a good friend of mine, and and he was we were in a class show together, so they came to see Matt, saw me in the class show, and I remember we went to Canner's Deli, and afterwards Megan was like, "You're really funny," and I, "But oh, thank you," and she goes, "No, no, you're really funny. I'm going to tell Laura Michaels about you," and I went, "Oh yeah," okay, <laughs> and then I was at the time I was working as an assistant editor on Iron Chef America. And I was in my edit bay and Megan Lally called me and said, I talked to Warren Michaels and he would love to meet you. I hope that was OK. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then Lindsay Shookis called me. Hi, my name is Lindsay Shookis. I work at First Star Night Live in Marcy Klein's office. Um, we'd like to fly you out so you can meet Warren Michaels. Like, what? <laughs> you know. Now, did that I, I it's I was trying to keep track of the order of events
0: because I guess the thing that Megan Saw you do that impressed her
1: was actually was it part of the class or it was sort of a your own offshoot right no that wasn't no no so so what's confusing about this story so Megan saw the class show and then Laura Michaels said I want to see what Megan saw mm-hmm. well we couldn't bring the whole class to New York right uh, or we couldn't put that show back on because it was like an improv show mm-hmm. but I had my own I had a sketch group with three other guys uh, Mel Cowan Eric filkowski and Matt Offerman. And we were like, "Well, we'll do it. we'll do a show," and then in the show, one of the sketches was like me doing impressions. It was me doing a character. I ended up doing an SNL, Vinny Videci, yeah, sure. doing impressions. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was. And
0: did was. Lauren? Was there something about Lauren was going to come to LA to see you guys? Did he
1: actually come to LA? He or? actually came out to LA. He came to LA, saw it, and then said, "We killed." We did so well. And then he said, Are those your friends in the audience? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Maybe. And he said, Okay, you got to come to New York where no one knows you. And so then we went out to the UCB Theater on 26th Street. And uh, in the audience was, you know, Amy Poehler and Seth Myers and Tina Fey and, and Lauren and Marcy Klein and uh, Steve Higgins, everybody with their arms folded. <laughs> All right. I found out later Bobby Moynihan was at that show when he was just starting out and and uh, and that show went well. I think you said Amy was
0: like the most
1: noticeable one to kind of
0: react immediately.
1: Yes. Yeah. Amy Poehler went (laughs) on my first (laughs) joke to like get people relaxed because it was I was it was so tense Because even the guys I was doing the group with knew that they were all watching me, which was very sweet, but they all knew. So it was like, oh, we're just helping our friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'll never, ever forget that. That was just really meaningful. And so I just, yeah, it was crazy.
0: Now that went well, but did you still have to go
1: to 8H after that and do your kind of normal audition process? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I actually, that was February 2005, and then my audition was july wow. 2005 and so yeah i went and did pilot season i read for I, I read for old adventures of new christine and i read for uh how i met your mother and <laughs> I, I, I you know didn't do well <laughs> anything like but yeah i remember doing all those things and uh, god that must have well. been torture that
0: interim period where you're like i'm yeah just waiting yeah there. you're
1: just waiting yeah um
0: yeah. Just so people remember kind of how, you know, when you hit the scene, I think you came up in the same class as Samberg, Kristen Wiig, Sudeikis. Is that right? All in the same? Yeah, we
1: in Colin Joe. And Colin, and Colin yeah, We all were hired. Yeah. We were all hired the the same uh, and the lonely, the, they're lonely guys and a guy named Brian Tucker who still works at SNL. We were all. In the Did you team. all audition at the same time as well? No, uh, Jason was a writer on the show and he was actually on the show. And then, uh, Andy and I auditioned at the same time. And then I believe Kristen auditioned later Okay, because Kristen came in later. She was, she didn't do the, my first show. She, she did like the fifth show later. She came in a couple shows late. Do you remember um, what,
0: you know, you get to 8H, I know you've spoken about for, even, you know, once you were even on the show, there was a large element of stress and anxiety about what you're dealing with. But was the, the, I can't imagine the, uh, the audition must have been the scariest.
1: Now, you know what? The audition, I was nervous, but it wasn't like it, it wasn't like doing the sh- doing the show for me was way more nerve wracking because it was live. And the material was stuff that I had just been, ha- you know, not just been handed, but you've been working on. But I wasn't that familiar with where like an audition, you could hone it, you could think about it, you could get it perfect and then feel confident in it and you weren't on live television. That makes sense, yeah. You know, Um uh, but the live TV part was, oof. Well, I'm yeah. going
0: to come back to that if it's all right, but for now, like, do you remember what you did and how it went over at the at the audition?
1: Yeah, I did Vinny Vedeci doing impressions. So it was Vinny Vedecci doing... Al Pacino and uh, Tony Blair uh, James Mason and Peter Fox (laughs) you know like the the kids people the kids like (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and then this was if this is true this is
0: kind of a a crazy uh, little you know side note
1: but is there something with with you and Neil Gaiman like where oh yeah Neil Gaiman I was reading a lot of his books and uh And I had this weird thing where I became super superstitious about his books. So I would keep them on me. So when I did my audition, I had a copy of one of his books. When I met Lauren, I had a copy. Like when I got the call, I had just bought one of his books. So it was just this weird superstition I had that I had to have a Neil Gaiman book on me.
0: And so you go back to you go back to L.A., I guess, after your audition We've had a bunch of folks on from SNL on the podcast who say they're never totally clear that they've been actually hired.
1: hired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that your experience? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember it fully, but I think I was at the Newsroom Cafe, which isn't there anymore. But it was that yeah? Roberts live right around the corner. Remember? Yeah, yeah. So that I was there was Naomi Odenkirk, who was my manager at the time, and I went to the bathroom, and when I came back, she had a, her phone in her hand and she just handed it to me and she said, take this outside. And I went outside, so I was like, hello. And it's like, hi, this is Marcy Klein. And I said, oh, hi. She's like, um, so you know, you got hired, right? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't know I got hired. Went, oh, you got hired. <laughs> and she said, you're going to be on the plane with a guy, um, who is me with Lauren. He's not hired yet. Um, his name is Andy Sandberg." Um. Okay, and so Andy was. I was on the plane with Andy, and he's going like, "God, is it between you and I?" Like, <laughs> why would they fly us both out? And in my head, I was like, "Do I tell them they told me I have it?" But like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> and I was like, I just remember saying like, "Dude, they're gonna fly. They're gonna hire you. Why would they fly you all the way right, up? Right,
0: right, right.
1: Not to hire you." And then I remember we got grounded at Dallas Airport because it was a bad storm, and we were trying to get beer uh and we were kind of flirty with one of the stewardesses to like bring us beer and we went up into first class and he went up first class came back he's like dude Steve Carell and Judd Apatow are up there cuz they were doing press for 40 Virgin <laughs> right and so then I walked up and I pretended to get something and like, you know, would look at them and walk <laughs> off, you know, it's <laughs> like, holy shit, that's so crazy. Like, you just, you're freaking out. And
0: we will, we will note that you have since done five movies with Judd Apatow. So yeah, that yeah. Judd's now like a friend. Yeah. And Steve hosted our first show. Right. It, was, it was nuts. That's yeah. great. Um, all right. So to come back to what you were saying a second ago, and I, I mean, You started in the fall of 2005 as a featured performer. A year later, you're a full cast member. In 2012, you're the first SNL male performer in 29 years to get a supporting acting Emmy nomination. Then you do it again the next year. I mean, people were obviously responding in a big way to your work. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to mention a bunch of the characters. So people, if it brings back a bunch of memories for folks, uh, Alan Alda, James Carville, John Malkovich, Keith Morrison from Dateline, um, (laughs) Rick Perry, Vincent Price, Shepard Smith, Herb Welch, and of course, Stefan. Uh, But like, it seems like throughout your entire time doing this, there was this cloud over your head that you prevented you from being able to really enjoy it or feel that you were doing well? Or can you can you just explain? Because it's for an outsider. That sounds crazy. You're 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 you should be on top of the world. But yet it sounds like it was not a fun thing for you a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, it was the live aspect of it, you know, it was pre tape stuff. I was always way more comfortable in, but it's a live aspect of it. was just really hard on my nervous system, you know, I had a very hard time, um, yeah, just having panic attacks and having a hard time, you know, breathing and, and, um, so I started like, you know, um, you know, trying to learn to meditate, but that wasn't until like my last season, you know? But yeah, it was just this, yeah, it was a very, very tough time for me. It was just very, I I loved it af- in retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like the worst version of the anxiety of going on a roller coaster and then that relief when it was over with. Right, right. But it was that times like a billion. It was just, you know, uh, Monday It was like a clock started. And then it was just like ticking clock all the way that goes off at 1130 Saturday night. And I just it was just a constant state of trying to keep myself calm. And, and I think to the other cast members, I just thought I was really dramatic and annoying, but, <laughs> but I was, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. It was, it was, but I, I hit it, you know, it was kind of like a thing like inside, you know, I was this thing, but I would, you know, be goofy and chat and, you know, it wasn't like I was walking around like, uh, you know, somebody, you know, some crazy person, right. but, um, but inside, yeah, it was, it was very, very hard. Well, and
0: I saw that you'd said that, you know, a lot of people who would be there, whether it's, you know, castmates or maybe, I don't know, even hosts thought you were being dramatic, but can, can I mention a few of the ways that apparently can't actually manifested and you I may, tell me if it's true or not, but I mean, like, one time Sudeikis, did he have to, like, you actually lost your vision?
1: Well, that was a migraine. I got a migraine, yeah. Would that got be a migraine. stress migraine, though, probably? Yeah, it might be stress, yeah. But I think it was stress, but and not sleeping well and not eating well, yeah. But I had to hold on to his hand to where I stopped, and I knew what my line was, but I just couldn't. Uh, it was Appalachian Emergency Room, and I, I didn't know where my— I knew where the cards were, and I knew where to look but i was just like i'm just so fucked up right now and i just yeah so if you watch it i think i'm like holding on to his arm or i'm holding on to something i guess
0: the other one that you've spoken about where it really was blowing up and i i watched it today and i i i don't think i'm i don't think it was that noticeable at all to anyone in the audience but when you're doing julian assange i guess as the cold yeah. open that was
1: a bad one yeah yeah with uh, paypal yeah. Jeff Bridges hosting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that was bad. That was like, but it was, it is like inside it's like, you know, on alarm alarm bells are going off, everything's going on. And I remember I was just doing so much of it into this wine glass mm-hmm. and I was talking and I or Jenna, stage manager was, you know, motioning to me, like put the wine glass down, put the wine glass. Cause I would do this thing when I get nervous, I put my hands in front of my face um, which then became an. S- I Stephon was going to say, thing. is that, yeah. that, was, yeah.
0: was that because you were nervous throwing stuff on, or was that.
1: Uh, no, I think it's just me being nervous in general, and then I could add it to a character. So Everything's really I'm smelling my hands, <laughs> or I'm actually just. <laughs> it's what I want to do in every sketch. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's certain things I watch my hands constantly creeping up in front of my face, mm-hmm. and especially on Update. So, I remember the guys who ran Update would be like, dude, you got to put your hand down because you're covering your face. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. I just, I was so, I just get so, uh, yeah. It was, it, I, but but th- that, but that, that one was in particular. Like, I went, after I did that one, I remember going to the dressing room and just being kind of like catatonic yeah. and just going, what did I do? Like, I just fucking blew that mm-hmm. and just going around to everybody going, did I screw that up? I just, I know I just screwed that up. And, and it was just like what you said, if you are like, I, it was fine. If I wasn't, I was like, no, 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 no. I just, I blew that. You know, I was just, now, it, you know. to to pinpoint it, like you
0: don't have this when you're working on Barry or you're making a movie. It's the live aspect of it.
1: Yeah, it's the, very much the live aspect of it, and and uh, I, I mean, award shows <laughs> too. I don't like don't I don't like being, I mean, get very anxious. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just it's that countdown, and now we're on live television. Right. Right. Yeah, that that thing. I do it even in like news when I've been like on like news morning shows yes. and they're like oh we're live and i go <gasps> yeah yeah <laughs> i just i just start to have a little panic um but like if i'm in front of an audience you know a big audience someplace that doesn't really throw me too much it's it's just live television and sort of the abstract <laughs> it sounds like maybe
0: just the abstract idea of there's a big audience out there it's not yeah
1: yeah yeah it's just this pressure hits me with the red light comes on it's just
0: Just one last uh, SNL question, if I can. I mean, you. Uh, it seems like if if somebody were if you counted what people talked to you about when they came up on the street, or uh, I would guess, and obviously tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing Stefan was the character, oh, 100%, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Can you, for that reason, and because I guess it was really even part of your send off when you did leave SNL after the eight years. Um, where did that guy come from? Uh, I think you've said it's you and Mulaney, but like, where where did it and, and why was it? Do you think so
1: memorable? And I'm not. I mean, it was, but I'm curious what your reason. Why? Well, I, um, well to give credit where credit's due. I mean, so, so much of that is John Mulaney. I mean, John Mulaney deserves most of the credit for that. I mean, I I mean, I, I performed it, but he wrote all that stuff and, and, and the idea to do it was John's and and I, John Mulaney deserves a ton of credit for that character. Um, I think it came from some, a guy John met and he wrote him these emails that kind of were in that rhythm, you know, like New York's hottest club is this. I think one of the things is that the club was a room full of broken glass. I don't know if that was a joke or if that was... But anyway, so that he goes and sent that and then there was a barista um in Chelsea where I lived at the time that that I would chat with sometimes at the, at the neighborhood coffee shop and he he was kind of that guy and then um and then yeah, I don't I don't know why it it's interesting, it's just the amount of of of, of gay men and women who come up to me about that character. It's very satisfying how much they just, they really love it, but they love it on such a level of, of uh like a very emotional attachment to it. Like, there's like a real appreciation to it. And I, what I liked about it was that Stefan wasn't uh you know, I think it was a thing John and I always kind of just naturally did. was like, no, the joke can't be that he's, you know, gay. It's like, that's not like, that's like, that's pretty hacky. It's kind of like the joke is that he's like bad at his job. Yeah. Like he's 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 lying. Right. You know, <laughs> city correspondent. And he's a city correspondent, but I don't None of these places exist. Right. He didn't really <laughs> or maybe they do or not. He's just on a lot of drugs. Right. And he's just like the wrong person to ask. <laughs> but and then I think just the writing of it was so good. And then trying to play it in a way that was. You know, an update, you could play things. You know, there's a difference between, like, performing and acting. An update, you can kind of act. You can make it a little bit smaller and, and elliptical and, and make it a little quiet and, and uh, behavior. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, that, that was a lot of fun to be able to do.
0: And I guess there's also got to be something where I think audience members love watching the
1: cast members Me break up, right? Well, that was the big thing with that one. Then it just got to a place where it's like, OK, if you don't laugh, is it weird or whatever? So John was really, you know, throwing some stuff out and, <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's there's some that I'm I look back on. and I'm like, did I really find it that funny <laughs> trying just to like keep it going? I mean, I probably was in some ways, but there was some where he really he really I mean, I, I always was laughing. Yeah. It wasn't like I was fake laughing, but. Some of them I think I knew what was coming or I heard what was coming and it still made me laugh. But some really took me off well, some really took me off guard and really got me hard. Well, you know. I believe one
0: of those and, and I'll just mention it because it's a uh it's sad that the the namesake is has just left us, but I believe uh Gay Leota was, was Yeah, Gay Leota, <laughs> yeah.
1: That was the first one. That was the very first one. Yeah. was it was initially Amnesia Bernstein was the name, and uh, of the club promoter, and 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 that was that's what I mean. It was like as I was walking out, John goes, "Oh, I changed Amnesia Bernstein to Gayleota," and I went, "Oh, okay." And then I got up there, and then I said it for the first time, and I just started laughing at how lazy it was. What a lazy name. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and it just made me laugh. But really, you know what made me laugh in those a lot was what I was saying, but also how patient Seth Myers is with Mary. Yeah. How, right. how, how patient Seth Myers was was always making me laugh. Like, all right, now Stefan, like, you know, he's just trying very hard to just keep it on track right. and, but, but also not judge too much and, you know.
0: Well, they had a – it's nice they had a happy ending together. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, in terms of movies, which a lot of people start – or some people start while they're on SNL, and that was the case with you. I know some people are saying, well, you should go do a on." Stefan- Movie like they did their Wayne's World movie or other, you know, spinoffs, obviously that didn't, uh, that was something you, you I guess, did not pursue or resist or whatever. But look, can we just note there's a lot of these where you became like the guy who was in every funny movie. There's Super Bad, Pineapple Express, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Tropic Thunder, Adventureland, um, all of these, I think, either during or just shortly after your time on SNL but the the one yeah. that was really like the the game changer in the way that I know I, I for me and many people that we didn't even know that you had a desire to go this far away from what you had been doing before was the skeleton twins where um, and I think the way that you just to remind people you're playing this there's siblings they're both uh, having struggles and, um, there it's you and Kristen Wiig. So maybe people might have one sort of expectation of what kind of movie this was going to be totally just very, very impressive, but the, the way it played out, but the fact that it happened at all sort of came out of the fact that you were getting no traction with casting directors, right. In terms of, that's right.
1: Yeah. With, with getting, yeah. Trying to get in like those, um, yeah more dramatic I guess you would say more dramatic type stuff and so my agent was like well why don't you go and do table reads for dramas and so I did a table read for a, uh, a movie uh, and A.V. Kaufman was the casting director and she saw me in the read and thought I was really good and and uh and it and it worked out like she thought I was good in that and then Craig came in and they wanted another actor. And she said, you know, you should look at. And Craig went, the guy from Stefan, <laughs> that guy, was like, he was really good. And and that, that meant a lot. Yeah. So then, yeah, so Craig, the first time I met him, he said, you know, A.D. Coffin says, I need to meet you, but I just know you as the guy who does impressions. And so that was very cool. That was that was a cool experience. Well, and
0: you've said that, quote, I didn't feel like I was an actual actor until they showed Skeleton Twins at Sundance, close quote. A
1: hundred percent. Yeah? A hundred percent. Never consider myself an actor. And then I think I remember this it, Kevin Pollack stood up and said something like incredibly nice. Like we had no idea you had that in you. And it got a, It got just such a positive response at Sundance. And then really. Is what when I had my meeting at HBO, they said, we would rather see you doing something like Skeleton Twins as far as your acting than what you were doing on Saturday Night Live. We're we're more interested in that. You're
0: talking about when... So because it was really right after Skeleton Twins that you struck this kind of, I guess, development deal with HBO. So you're saying yeah. it was because they saw this other
1: side of you that they wanted to work with you. Well, they liked SNL, but they, they were just like, this is... We love you and Skeleton Twins, and we like that side of you. Is there anything you want to develop with us that has more of a dramatic comedy-drama-type feeling to it? We'd be interested in but we're more interested in this and not sketch characters which i i wasn't interested in that either Mm -hmm. so that that's how that's how that yeah and so that was 2014
0: barry goes on in 2018 and i guess just to quickly note that in that interim period was also documentary now which is great you guys did that um there was disappearance of eleanor rigby another like not comedic thing at all yeah um train wreck which is obviously comedic back with judd but you're sort of the straight man in it yeah um yeah. so it just feels like you were kind of uh branching out in a lot of ways and then the other thing that i saw that i wonder if this was valuable for going into the writer's room of barry is you'd had experience in the writer's rooms with south park and with inside out at pixar
1: how did what, yeah. what were what were how did that even happen with those things well, I became friends with Matt Stone, and and he would talk about the South Park room, and I would say, "Man, I I love how you guys structure stuff. I would love to watch watch you guys work and hang out." And he was like, "Well, you can come and get paid. You can like contribute," but I really just hung out. I would pitch jokes and things, but mostly it was I was just watching those guys work and how they came up with a story and how much. Even though it's South Park, like how, how much emotion went into it. and was driven by emotion and all these things. And so it was really fun for me to sit and watch Trey and then kind of go, okay, I would do this. And then he would do another thing and go, why did he do that? Oh, that's interesting. Like it was, it, it was like the best writing school you could possibly go to. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with Pixar. And the reason Pixar is so good and inside is so good is because they wrote every day on that movie for five years. You know every day honing it doing story reels trying stuff didn't work do the you know and yeah and you would really you'd her. like
0: go up to san
1: francisco i would right? go up there and hang out yeah and i remember one time i went up there and they were like oh, pete wants to do this thing um called personality islands and uh you know, he, he likes you, uh, try to talk him out of the personality. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, when I was like, Pete, I don't know if these personality on his work. And he's like, Oh yeah, no, I think they're pretty good. I, oh, I think, you know, I, I think there will it, be a big emotional experience seeing those things like crash and when Riley's blows up and And I was like, all right, you know uh, your funeral, pal. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and boy, were we wrong.
0: Well, you know? and, and we'll just remind people you ended up playing or voicing uh, fear as yeah. well in that. So, um, and voicing. Speaking of, the, I mean, how crazy a full circle thing must it have been to be voicing somebody for a Spielberg
1: movie with BFG? I mean, that's your guy. Oh yeah, that was. Yeah, that was that was one of the coolest experiences that just getting to watch him work. And I, I think I was probably annoying on that movie because I was just <laughs> following him around asking questions and, oh my God, I was, I think back on my experience of that and I, I get embarrassed. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, I think, you know, when someone's trying to work, you can't be like, what was the hardest shot in Jaws? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, dude, the guy's fucking directing man, leave him alone. You know, it's, ugh. Yeah. Well,
0: so Barry, four years after you do this deal with with uh, HBO comes comes to fruition. Why, though, did you and Alec Berg knew each other already? Why and how did you come together? And also why it wasn't your original thing, which you went pretty far down the road on was not this story.
1: Yeah. Well, Alec and I knew each other a little bit, but we had the same agent, Matt Rice and and uh, Matt. I was like, I think you two should meet and work together. And so uh, we were at the premiere at Clear History, which I was in and he worked on. And I remember us chatting there. And then we went to a diner, got together and talked. And I remember he came to a screening of uh, Skeleton Twins. And uh, so we just were kind of like hanging out. And, and then we had this idea for a, uh, a, movie, a show about uh, my, this guy I grew up with. It was kind of the guy that I played in Hot Rod. It was based on this guy. And then, like, oh, we'll do a show about him. And it was kind of a day in life type of show. And and it was one of those things, like, we got the pilot figured out, and we liked it, and then just was like, well, okay, what would the next episode be? And then it just got, like, really boring. And uh, we didn't have anything. And so it was like, well, what if, what's something with stakes, you know? And we should do something that has more stakes, And... I mean i have to admit i was watching you know breaking bad and mm-hmm. and and loving breaking bad and and uh well i'm
0: sorry i just i just only because you bring up breaking bad i had read something that did better call saul
1: a visit to the set or something also factor in oh i visited the writer i visited the writer's room of better call saul but they got no work i was just like again just full geeking out like <laughs> getting no work done it was very embarrassing but uh just doing bits and just being like, I can't believe I'm in this room. These guys are so cool. <laughs> sorry, and, sorry uh, to interrupt. I didn't mean to, yeah. Oh, no, direct. that's, no, 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 man. I, that's all I did to them. I was just, in, I, I mean, <laughs> I was just like, it's like, so how did you guys know that Hank, you know, and, um, and then, uh, so, because I don't watch a lot of TV. Like, I was never, I'm more movie mm-hmm. books mm-hmm. Uh, type person. And so, it was helpful, kind of seeing how they were doing their thing, and then, uh, and then, um, uh, you know, I've said it's, but it was like out of frustration, we were at S and W Diner in Culver City, and I said, "What if, what if it was like a, I was like a hitman, but it's me," you know? And he was like, "Oh, hitman is like dog catcher. It's like a fake thing. There aren't real <laughs> hitmen, and they're always like they got two guns and they're always as heavy." And I was like, "No, no, no. It would be like real," you know? And and then we proceeded to write a version of the pilot that was very unreal <laughs> where <laughs> it was like he was a hitman but there was like a whole hitman kind of community in LA and there was a barbecue with hitmen and they were all kind of like these like biker kind of guys and stuff and you know and he had a friend who was a hitman and all this and but the acting stuff was great it was just the hitman stuff didn't work and then um we gave it to hbo and they said this acting stuff works but the hitman stuff like is that real is that is that from research or like (laughs) we're like no we're just making it up (laughs) and it was no it doesn't work and then in that the day after that meeting i remember again just what if he's a marine i was like yes okay there you go and then that, and then Mer Alec going, and we, he can't have a community because he should be searching for a community. And I was like, ah, yeah, you know. And then, it, you know, we just kept at it. And then I was actually shooting the BFG in Vancouver when we had that call. And I remember I was writing in my hotel room and going, yes, okay, that's it. So we'll get rid of this and we'll do it. And uh, it was it was a big aha moment. But that took like a year. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Of like writing it and figuring it out whatever. And then someone just goes along and just pulls one thread and you're like, shit, all right, no, we're (laughs) going to go figure this out. And that has never ended. That has never ended. Well. You work super hard on a thing and then you, you know, you know. Well, for I guess, though, was it exciting or daunting
0: for you to know that having never directed anything before, your pilot, which is going to determine whether or not you have any sort of a future at HBO and maybe beyond that in terms of making your own stuff like this, that you, it seems pretty ballsy that you were... that was going to be the first thing you directed and then also later the the next two. But, and now we're out, obviously you've proven people that more than proven that you're up to that. And I mean, people talk about, I think they're going to teach the um, Ronnie Lilly episode from season two and you did numerous season three. And I think you're going to do everyone in season four. sounds like directing, but I mean, that first step into directing has, is that intimidating?
1: Um. I was just excited because I've been chomping at the bit to do that and people say this to being honest like uh it, it it was uh I've wanted to do that since I was like ten yeah you know like I was so obsessed with it and um and Alec Berg literally was the guy that because HBO said well can you direct and Alec went yeah, but he didn't know, <laughs> you know. But he he vouched for me, you know. Jimmy, to me, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for, for him vouching for me, it was massive. And so, and so doing it was just exciting, man. It was just oh, I'm finally it was so fun. And I you mean, know, I was nervous, but I was also just elated the yeah. whole time, like, this is so much fun. And uh, I just was like, man, I hope this show goes because I've I have. I have I have never had this much fun. Yeah. You know, I hope this happens. I just I think the anxiety hit after the pilot was done and I was like, man, I hope this happens. That was the most fun I've had in my career. You know, well, and the there's, of course, the third
0: element of this is the writing, which um, I wondered, look, especially after seeing how Barry third season ends, do you guys deliberately paint yourself into a corner each season and then figure out I've got to, how do how the hell are we gonna get out of this? Or do you have yeah. a do you like do you know where this is actually going long beyond this?
1: No, I mean what happened was was in season three, COVID happened so we shut down for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And we so we outlined season four and then doing that, getting the outlines together went back into season three and started changing stuff. So that that kinda helps. But the the basics of, of Barry season three was there before COVID, you know, the basic big things were, were all there, you know, there was just uh, there was some stuff was just kind of messy that we had to like figure out like that was in the middle. So you, know? you
0: in your own mind don't know where this all is going to end?
1: No, no, <laughs> no. But that's kind of what's fun about it. It's kind of like uh, performing, too, you know, yeah. it's, it's like you're discovering things and then. The thing is, though, is you have to be, like, really hard on it. You have right. to hone it and and have time. Right. That's the biggest thing, man, is just the time to work on it. And we were really lucky with HBO in Season 3 that they let us go back and do some reshoots and things like that. Um,
0: with just the last minute, if I can, just three kind of big picture, just first thing that comes to your mind, if you don't mind, as you've, I'm sure, seen a lot of people after Season 3 in particular – are asking the question in not in in any negative way at all, but just the question comes up: Is Barry still a comedy?
1: What's your what's your response? Um, I just always found it as a story, you know. We're just telling a story that has funny things and dramatic, you know. It's it's I think because it's thirty minutes, it's a comedy, you know, and it and it does have comedic things. And me and Henry are mostly known for comedies, so I understand that, but. I just to me, it's just we're just telling a story. Yeah. but I would never want to go. Well, the story wants to go here, but we're a comedy, so we can't go there. And and I never. Yeah, yeah I don't. I couldn't do that. Uh, number
0: two of three. I believe you've I know you've been back, obviously, to SNL since you left the, the show. But I gather that they've one of the one of the times they've asked you to come back and said, you know, will you reprise Stefan? uh, there's a certain reluctance to do that because maybe the times have changed or whatever. What, what is the, what's your feeling about stuff on these days?
1: Uh, I, it was, I go back and forth on it. You know, I, I think I said that in an interview and I was, oh, I don't know. And, and then I had some friends reach out, um, we gay. we like, what? No, you gotta go back. Like that thing's so funny. You gotta go do it, you know? And, and, um, but, but, to, to, you know, I mean, I think with SNL though in general, I'm, I'm so busy on Barry and my brain is so fried from Barry. It's just hard to, right. <laughs> you know, so to be fair, I, I, I think what might got lost in that was, and or maybe I didn't say, right. It was, it was to come back on someone when someone else was hosting to come back and it was a, a someone who was hosting reached out to me and was like, Hey, would you want to do this? And I went, I don't know if I want to you know, is it okay? Or, you know what I mean? I just didn't, I was trying to be um, respectful and, 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 understand, but so yeah, it, it's like I go back and forth on it. Yeah. And then just finally,
0: just to lay out the facts, two of the most nominated comedies at the Emmys this year are Jason Sudeikis' show and your show. You're also nominated for the three guys you play on Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, which is awesome, and we're not even having time to get into any of that. But, um, you know, Barry's obviously people people are loving it, and you're back working hard. I think that's what you're in the middle of doing right now, right? You're, yeah, right now, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess my question is, knowing what, what life looks like today— if Megan Mullally had not recommended you to Lauren Michaels, where do you think you would be today, oh my and, God. and what do you think your life would look like today?
1: Oh man, I have no idea. I really have no idea. I I would have just been trying to make stuff. I mean, I know that, and I think honestly, because right when I got on SNL was right when YouTube happened, you know. So I think maybe making stuff for YouTube, and there's so many more much more avenues to make things, you know, when I was young and trying to make stuff, it was, you had to have like a lot of money, yeah. you know, and now you just need your phone mm-hmm. and that's it, you know, and and it looks great. It looks better than what we were trying to make in the early 2000s, late 90s, you know, and, uh, and so, yeah, with that technology, just learning and, and making stuff and failing, you know, failing and trying to make it work again and failing and, you know, still, still you know, keep going for for that. You know, that was kind of where that was right. I was just figuring that out when SNL happened, you know? Um, And then that was like, shot me into this stratosphere of like, okay, now you're doing that, but on this way bigger stage than what you expected. So it was very overwhelming for like half of it. I was there for eight years. The first four I was, I was like, not sleeping and yeah it was just it was so overwhelming and then by we get to work and i'm like hey everybody what's going on? you know but inside it was just like yeah. <laughs> was just going crazy yeah so um i would hold I, the short answer is just making stuff yeah yeah just making stuff well uh
0: thank you so much for all the stuff you made thank you for doing this i really uh, appreciate oh, it thanks for having yeah, me man absolutely thank you so much Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Step into the world of power, loyalty,